Hi, I'm Leanne Blaney, adventure coach, speaker and award-winning author. Welcome to the Ignite Your Life podcast, where we are having conversations about what might be holding you back and how to move forward to achieve your dream life. Come along on a journey and set yourself up by having freedom in your choices, becoming grounded and centered and learn how to speak from the heart. For more information, go to leanneblaney.com. Let's ignite your life. Melanie Rogers is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and supervisor and is dedicated to supporting others in their quest to achieve long-term recovery. Born, raised and educated in Melbourne, Australia, Melanie earned her Master's in Clinical Nutrition at New York University. She developed her passion for treating clients with eating disorders while working at St. Luke's Roosevelt Columbia Obesity Research Centre in New York City. Hi, Melanie. Welcome to the Ignite Your Life podcast. Hi, Leanne. Great to be joining you today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about eating disorders and disordered eating today with you. But first, you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm originally from Australia, from Melbourne, um, and I came out, I'm, I live here in New York City now. I've been here for about 20 years. I came out here to do my master's in clinical nutrition to become a registered dietitian, which is my training. Um, and that led me onto a pathway of becoming very interested in disordered eating and eating disorders. And that's actually become my specialty. And I, I since uh, about 11 years ago, I opened uh, an eating disorder treatment center here in New York City called Balance Eating Disorder Treatment Center. And uh, we treat all sorts of eating disorders from, you know, what people may know of anorexia, but we treat bulimia and even more importantly, my specialty, which is binge eating disorder or otherwise emotional eating or compulsive eating as people uh, may know that. Yeah, I love how that you've um, gone into the different types of eating disorders because there are a lot, aren't there? There's so many different types and they're not all the same because I think people think eating disorder, most of them get anorexia, but there's a lot more than that, isn't there? Absolutely. And in fact, binge eating disorder is the larger, um, is the largest of all the eating disorders. And it's the one that is, has probably had the least amount of research on it, the least amount of discussion around it. It only got a diagnostic code about six years ago, uh, yet it is the most prevalent, which I think honestly, Leanne, speaks to weight bias in the sense that a lot of people who struggle with binge eating disorder usually have a higher weight body. And I think that generally speaking, as a society it has been oh well they're just overweight because they eat too much and it's their fault they lack willpower where in fact we know now that people have a a straight up illness that is causing this behavior that may be leading to higher weight and I'm glad you mentioned society too because I have been speaking to a few people and only just recently and one of them especially she had bulimia and it was this expectation that she wanted to be in the entertainment industry and you had to be a certain weight. And she was getting, you know, as a kid, she was nice and thin and everything. Then suddenly she's growing up and being more voluptuous. And it wasn't the stereotype for being in that entertainment industry. So that actually has been affected her. And she's now in her 50s and she's still struggling with this. So it's not something that can be, um, I suppose, fixed in a short term. Can it? it can actually stay right through people's lives. 
Absolutely. Yeah. We often see, you know, I treat a lot of women and men, unfortunately, um, who are in their forties, their fifties, even sixties, uh, who have, as you said, Leanne, they've, they've struggled with this their whole entire life. So talk about a soul sucking illness that for various reasons is misunderstood and misinterpreted and misdiagnosed and people just live and suffer in silence. When in fact, we know now that treatment is available and we also know that full recovery is possible and that's something that's not really out there in the media so much and when you say um, we suffer in silence it, it is that isn't it because it's like we hear a lot about mental illness now people are saying are you okay day and things like that and we're getting that out there but the eating disorders are still something that people are embarrassed or have shame around and just don't want to talk about do they and I think society doesn't promote them talking about it no, not at all. I think, I think you're absolutely right there. Thank goodness. And Australia is really doing a really good job on this with the mental illness piece. Um, I think you guys are a little bit ahead of where we are here in the States with um, mental illness awareness. So thank goodness it's, it's catching on more. But I, I think that there's a lot of, uh, as you said, there's a misunderstanding that if you have an eating disorder, you must be very, very underweight. And if you're normal weight or overweight, it's not an eating disorder. It's a, a willpower issue. Uh, and I think that therefore there's actually a hierarchy in eating disorders. If you're going to have an eating disorder, everyone wishes that they had anorexia because then they would fit the thin ideal that society promotes. Um, and so if you have bulimia or binge eating disorder, there's a lot of shame around that idea of being out of control with food and hence maybe your weight is also trending in a direction um, that you feel shame about as well. So I think, I think because of the shame, in addition to it being a mental illness, which also is filled with shame, you've got a double whammy there. Um, and hence people just don't speak about it. Mm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about each one then, the three different types, and just so that people can understand what actually anorexia is, what binge eating is, what bulimia is? Absolutely. Well, anorexia, I think a lot of people know the idea of a very, very thin underweight person. And they, they think of a skeleton when they think of anorexia, when in fact, someone who is that skeletal is usually in really bad shape, but most anorexics are slightly underweight. Um, and it's, it's because they, they do not eat enough food during the day. So fairly clean cut there. Um, there is a subtype of, of anorexics who anything they eat, they then throw up. They don't overeat, but anything they eat, if I have a cookie, it's too much, I throw up. So we, there is a subgroup there. Bulimic clients, what they tend to do is they'll have episodes of overeating a large amount of food, feeling out of control, and then feeling like they've got to get rid of it. So then they'll put their fingers down their throat, they'll, you know, they'll vomit. Um, they also may abuse laxatives and or diuretics and overexercise. So they're getting rid of the calories, they're compensating. For binge eating disorder, similar to bulimia, you've got these massive overeating episodes, but there's no compensation. There's no vomiting, there's no ever overexercising, there's, there's no laxative abuse. And then as a result for our binge eating disorder, clients, if there's an overconsumption of calories from those binges, uh, you may therefore see more of a weight trend up, but not in everyone. So th those are kind of the, the rough down and dirty uh, distinctions. The key element for all of them is huge emotional distress, huge amounts of anxiety. For the anorexic brain, it actually creates more anxiety to eat because of the way the brain is wired. For a binge eating disorder client and a bulimic client, 
the act of eating foods, particularly carbohydrates, produces a serotonin production in the brain that actually soothes and reduces anxiety. So if, I like to think of eating disorders almost as an illness based upon how to manage overwhelming emotions and anxiety. So, so as you can see from that, sorry, Leanne, you know, I haven't mentioned body image, but uh, body image is a manifestation of all of this, but it's got, it's got nothing to do with that. Um, you know, because a lot of people will mistakenly think of eating disorders as vanity illnesses, um, but that, that is just the way the brain distorts a visual uh, image of the body, um, but it's actually got nothing to do with that. So when you mentioned body image and that, I was thinking that a lot of people talk, when they talk about this type of thing, it's that they think, oh, it's the young ones, you know, they get it when they're young and something traumatic may happen or they just want to fit in and, and be like the models, you know, and the people on Instagram. It's not just that though, is it? Not at all. I mean, we know that the high risk time is as uh, girls and boys go through puberty because the average girl, when they go through puberty, will gain about 30 pounds. Um, I guess that's what, around 10 kilos or just over 10 kilos. Massive shifts to your body and that can feel very out of control. But we also know that any time where there's a major trauma or change or stressor, such as going away to college, for example, or moving to a different town or uh, a new job or losing your job, marriage, divorce, having a kid. For women, there's all these double whammies, right? And then menopause, Leanne, for women going through menopause. Um, I only recently found out uh, this from the research that the average woman gains about 15 pounds when they go through menopause. 15 pounds is about what, five or six kilos. And it's considered protective for their bones as they go forward to actually gain that weight. But as a society, I know most women freak out when their body changes as they go through menopause. And now we're seeing more and more women um, who develop a full-blown eating disorder after that, that change in their body. So um, as you can see, it's not just for the adolescents as it was historically thought of. We're seeing it across all major decades of the lifespan. Mm. And that's what I'm coming across a little bit more now. Like when I was telling that story about this uh, lady in the entertainment industry now in her 50s, she's still yeah. suffering bulimia and I think she's still and now that's starting to go through menopause and so it's even more stress on her to keep looking a certain way because she does yeah. still work in that industry yeah. but it, it, it's a lot of stress on her yeah absolutely absolutely and is this a lot of stress on historically women to look a certain way and especially the thin ideal which has only gotten thinner um, over the years, if you look at the decades of um, models, um, there was a study where they looked at the BMI of models on, you know, cover of magazines from Cindy Crawford back in the day, right through to, you know, Kate Moss and now where we are. And the BMI has gotten lower and lower, which means thinner and thinner models over time. And, and as a result of that, that's an indication, if you will, of how society is viewing beauty as being a thinner and thinner and thinner body. And it's just just not it's just not how we're biologically built to be and as a result of that when you force the body to go to a lower weight than it's genetically programmed to be it's going to fight back um, physiologically etc and so hence we we have clients who develop bulimia and binge eating disorder as their body also fighting back against this diet culture that may have triggered this whole disordered eating uh, cycle 
And it's definitely a cycle, isn't it? Like we hear all the time of people going on diets. I've done it myself. You know, when I was going through my 30s after having a baby and I wanted to lose weight and then you sort of lose weight, then you have stress and then something else happens. I had a divorce, so you put on weight because you binge eat. You yeah. know, it is a cycle, isn't it? And you just hear about people going around the cycle. They lose weight. They put it back on again. They lose weight. And a lot of the time it's that emotional baggage that we take with us and we haven't dealt with it. But sometimes it's more deep-rooted than that, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Deep-rooted in the sense that there's a genetic predisposition for those who develop a full-blown eating disorder, but that's a smaller percentage of the population, thank God. But many, many, many of us struggle with disordered eating and it can be just as disruptive. You know, it may not be a full-blown eating disorder, it's just as disruptive to our, our well-being and our sense of self, our self-esteem, how we feel about ourselves. Um, and a lot of that can be that we haven't done the work to figure out what what we're feeling in the first place, Leanne, and then and then what to do with those feelings. You know, if you're feeling really angry, sad, rageful, uh, what we usually tend to do is then use food in this case to manage those emotions. And or if we're elated and happy and excited, some people use food in that case as well. You know, we use food for a lot of different things. Um, but net net, if it doesn't, if it's not taking you in the direction you want to go in your life and how you feel about yourself and your health and your mental well-being, um, it can cause a lot of distress. And so that's 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 a, a broader number of the population that actually are out there and they're going through this on their own and they don't realise that even that requires um, some support and deserves some support, which is even more important. Yeah, and they're not getting support early enough, are they? Because I know with the whole thing of not being talking about eating disorders like we do other things like the mental illness as a whole, it, it's actually making people put this mask on, go outside to the world. I'm this way. I'm all fine, but at home I'm really not. And so that's actually an added stress to your body, to your mental health, you know, to all your emotional health. It's to everything, isn't it? And you cannot possibly function at your highest level when you're in business or at your, at that age and you've got family, if, if you've got all this other stuff that's on your mind as well. Absolutely, because it's really preoccupying. I think that's a hallmark of an eating disorder is just it's really noisy in your head because you're ruminating all the time. Ruminating meaning going over and over and over and over. Calories, weight, how do these pants fit? I shouldn't have eaten that yesterday. Just, you know, looking at the work that you do, Leanne, just a complete waste of time. Like put that energy into, you know, soul stuff, like things that ignite your love for life and passion, which I know is some of the amazing work you're doing. And so part of my goal is, yeah, is to turn down the volume on that so that our, our, our clients can go out there and live the, the best version of their life that they can. So when you've been dealing with clients that have got these eating disorders, have you seen, like, is there a lot of positive movements towards people not healing themselves, I suppose, by getting through this stage? Like, is it always going to be with them or is it something they can actually say, hey, I'm actually healed from this? Full recovery is absolutely possible. It doesn't take away the genetic predisposition, though. So what that means is that um, with and, and it's a multi sorry it's a it's a very multifaceted illness. So it's biologically meaning that it's brain based. It's also physiologically physiological because it affects the body, and it's also psychological because it affects the mind and how your mind works and how you think and feel. So therefore, proper treatment has to has to work on those three areas along with your relationship to food 
and your relationship to body image. Um, I'm a registered dietitian, as I mentioned, so I work with my clients on developing a neutral relationship with food and one that's not full of good foods and bad foods and healthy foods and not healthy foods and all that food is just food or food spit i love my doritos it's all good um but but coming back to your point treatment is involved and it requires looking at those three or four areas in order to then come to a point where they they're not causing you distress anymore and you're managing your emotions and you're not falling back on default behaviors of needing to use food and to 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 manage emotions um, the difficulty though is because we have this pre um, predisposition this genetic predisposition if in the future let's say you have a kid let's say you're fully recovered, you then choose to become a mum. After that, you want to lose the baby weight, you go on a diet to do so, you drop your weight below where it needs to be. It can actually, we think, return on the manifestation of the illness. So I myself am fully recovered and I had a child about six years ago. And so I alerted my team that I continue to work with because you need to do that, um, that we needed to be on the lookout, that I needed to be okay post, post delivery. And for that first year to just give my body time to go back to where it was going to be, whatever that was going to be um, and be okay with that and not, um, not get caught up in that in an obsessive way that could trigger uh, going back into the eating disorder. So some people say, well, you can never recover then because the genetic predisposition doesn't go away like alcoholism. Uh, and so there are some schools of thought who believe that. Uh, I just, I like to think of the idea of full recovery with a, um, with a due respect that, uh, you know, you, you need to continue to take care of yourself. With people who think, okay, I may have one of these disorders and I want to take some steps forward in how to manage this or to deal with this what are some little steps that you recommend because i know there's a lot of treatment that's needed and a lot to go on to heal but what's some little things that people can do to go hey how can i move forward with this and start addressing it absolutely um, a couple of things first and foremost if you're not sure good down and dirty litmus test question is to ask yourself how much of my day do i spend thinking about calories food weight the scale my clothes size, ask yourself that question and give yourself a ranking from 20% of the day, 50% of the day, 75% of the day, 100% of the day. And if you're, if you're 25 and 30%, it's a little bit more than you want to be doing. Some of our clients are at 100%, some are at 120% because they're dreaming about food. So that's first and foremost. Often what people think is, oh, but everyone does this. I'm no different to anyone. I don't have a problem. Ask yourself that question. And so then the next thing is uh, maybe find a therapist to talk, to talk about, just have a look at this or, or a nutritionist and talk to them, but an eating disorder specialist who can differentiate this stuff. Uh, because if you go to a regular nutritionist, um, they may not understand, usually they won't understand the nuances of eating disorders because no one gets training on this. So I, I would reach out to, to um, one of those two professionals and take a step there. And then from there, figure out, you know, can I do, with a couple of tips, can I do this on my own or do I need extra support? Do I find I keep slipping back? Um, the other thing I would say is if you can, as much as possible, work from a place of intuitive eating, which is eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full, eating foods that give you pleasure, 
trying as best you can not to have your should list of good foods, bad foods. Certainly we want lots of fruit and veg in there because that's where your good vitamins and minerals come from. But as I mentioned, you've got to have your Doritos and for me it's a bagel in the morning or whatever it is. Carbs are absolutely fine, people. <laughs> you know, they get a bad rap. So there's a lot of misinformation out there that speaking to a specialist can help direct you um, and can take away some of that anxiety about what I should and shouldn't be eating. Uh, so those are a couple of tips. One, asking yourself how much you think about food. Um, number two, if you think, gosh, maybe I want to talk to someone and check about this, uh, reach out to a therapist or a nutritionist and certainly that um, people can reach out to us and we can do a free 20-minute call uh, via Skype or Zoom. Um, and, uh, and from there, get a sense, a better sense of, you know, what support might be helpful for me. Yeah, great, great advice. I love that. Thank you. So the last thing I wanted to ask you, where's the future, do you think? Do you think we're going to be getting out there and talking about it more? Is it moving towards that direction or is it something that we need to start really getting out there ourselves, talking a bit more about eating disorders, making it less shameful to talk about? I think we definitely need to talk about it more. I think we're starting to, but here's an interesting statistic that hits our age group, Leanne. More women die of an eating disorder, uh, more postmenopausal women die of an eating disorder than breast cancer. Wow, I did not know that. So think about that. Think about how many of us now know, thank goodness, about breast cancer because of the amazing, amazing breast cancer campaign and the pink campaign, etc. And then more women die of an eating disorder than breast cancer. That isn't outrageous. And that, I think, is a real indicator of how far we still need to go to be talking about this and taking it seriously. And it's not just a vanity illness. I love talking to you about this because it's something that, you know, I've just been hearing about a lot and I know what's going on out there in a society and I, I really get on my little high horse and start ranting when I hear about what society does. So I love talking about it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. If our listeners want to uh, find out more about you or contact you, where's the best place for them to go? Definitely go to our website, website Leanne, Balanced tx.com and there you'll find a free downloadable recovery handbook and also you can sign up for a free 20-minute consult call with us excellent well thank you so much melania i loved having you on today a pleasure a pleasure thanks leanne igniters melani has such a dedication to supporting those affected by eating disorders in their quest to achieve long-term recovery if you want to contact melani go to balancetx.com for more about finding that inner balance and living an adventurous life, go to my website, leanneblaney.com.